Welcome to It Didn't Break Me, a podcast where we have honest and vulnerable conversations around the messy stuff we didn't think we'd come back from, inspiring you to give yourself permission to discover the beauty within the mess and to let go the illusion of perfection. I'm your host, Bianca Keisha Hughes. Hello and welcome to the It Didn't Break Me podcast. I am your host, Bianca Keisha Hughes. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I can't even say my name right. What is going on? But we're going to just leave it at that. You know, actually, a funny story. My, when I was young, my aunt will never let me forget this. But so my name is Bianca Keisha Hughes. Um, and I always used to say my full name. Can you believe that when I was younger? And I used, and she used to say, what's your name? And I used to say, Bianca Keisha News. <laughs> she never lets me forget it. Bianca Keisha News. Um, but it's Hughes with a H and not News, N-E-W-S. But I am your host for today. Uh, well, always shall I say. And um, this is season one and episode five of the podcast. We have had some amazing guests and we will continue to have amazing guests who are just sharing their stories of what it's like to go through the things we thought would break us, yet we're still here discovering the beauty within the mess. Um, Last week, we had Jamal talking about his experience of divorce, codependency, and, you know, actually having a second divorce and all the things he had to go through. And I love that it was a man, a black man, sharing his story. I kind of always think that men might not always share and then just especially for me for black men to hear their stories and be vulnerable is is so powerful so if you have not heard that go back and listen to the podcast today we have a great guest i can't sing but i'm gonna say this And I think that talking about sex, like what you do or how good you are is, I really don't care about that. But I think the beauty of sex, what it's for, understanding our bodies, what it means to be a sexual being and the challenges we have around sex. I think those things are great conversations to have, to give us insight because it's what makes the world go around and it's why we're all here and how we all got here. And so my guest today is going to be talking a bit more about sex. I'm not going to tell you everything, but I am going to introduce her. From bringing compelling characters to life on screen as an actor, calling the shots behind the scenes as a director and producer, leading her thoughts and opinions to the podcast airways, and even penning her debut literary work, Brianne Davis has emerged in the entertainment industry as a powerhouse female creative in 2022. In film and television, Brianne mostly recently starred on History Channel's Six. Additional TV credits include Netflix, Lucifer, Hulu's Casual, and HBO's True Blood. 
Brienne's first lead role in film came in 2005 with the blockbuster hit Jarhead. She also starred in the horror film Prom Night. Thriving behind the camera as much as in front under her production company, Give and Take Productions, Brienne has produced three films while also directing The Night Visitor 2, Heather's Story and Deadly Signal. With over 12 years of recovery as a sex and love addict, Brienne hosts the popular personal journal podcast, Secret Life. The podcast launched in August 2020 and features inspiring true confessions from an eclectic group of guests, unpacking a plethora of taboo subjects. Brienne's latest venture in the Secret Life brand is her debut novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, which instantly hit the bestsellers list on Amazon earlier this year. She is a renowned sober coach in addiction recovery. She has spoken on over 175 podcasts and television shows, including The Doctors, The Daily Blast, and many more as an advocate for creating awareness of the deadly disease of sex and love addiction. She has also penned several articles on the subject for Cosmopolitan UK, Daily Beast, Huffington Post, and The Drill. She is currently in rewrites for the follow-up novel of the Secret Life series and developing it as a TV series. Brianne currently resides in the Los Angeles area with her husband Mark Gant and son Davis. She is a powerhouse. When you hear her story, you will understand even more why. Let's go ahead and get into the conversation. All right, so hello, Brienne, and welcome to the It Didn't Break Me podcast. Mm, hi, I'm so glad to be here. I am excited. I'm always excited about my guests. Um, I think because for me, it's like what this conversation is going to do and how it's going to help other people yeah. um, and set them free. And I think we can both say we've experienced what it's like to kind of be set free and just be more authentic and being able to share that with the world. So that's yeah. why I get excited. Me too. I Anytime anybody's willing to like share their darkness and how they got to the light is what inspires me. It's what gets me up in the morning. So when you asked me, I was like, please, let's do this. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so let's get into it. So the first question, of course, the namesake of the podcast, what is something you thought would break you, but it didn't? Well, I like to say that I thought my intimacy issue would break me, my obsession with romance and fantasy, finding a soulmate, finding that person to complete me, always looking outside of myself and how that manifested as I'm a sex and love addict. I have 12 years of recovery and I thought I was just one of those people that could never fully commit to another human being. Like I always had one foot in and one foot out. You know, they say, if you have one foot in the past and one foot in the present, you're pissing on the future. And so I felt like every relationship I was in, I was just pissing on it because I had this empty hole that could never be filled with another human being. So for you, it thought at some point, this is just going to totally break me mm -hmm. and totally destroy me. Is that 
Yeah, I had a dark night of the soul 12 years ago where I was on location shooting a movie and I won't tell you which movie or location. <laughs> <laughs> and I was looking in a mirror late at night. I had a boyfriend at home and someone really close to me died suddenly of a heart attack. And I started to flirt and intrigue again and do those things when I would go on location. And I just had this moment where I was looking at myself in the mirror crying and going, oh my God, am I going to be doing this the rest of my life? Am I going to be 80 like always like never connected to another person fully because here was this boyfriend at home. I actually really liked, like I liked mm -hmm. as a person, I wanted to be friends with him. And here was someone on set I was flirting with that I didn't even like as a person that was mean to waiters. So it was just this like slap me in the face moment where I was like, oh my God, am I going to be chasing this thing when I'm 80? And it just, it was that moment. That I said mm. to myself, if I don't do something now, it's going to break me. This disease is going to kill me. Mm. What is the disease? Okay, so my disease is called sex and love addiction. And it's an intimacy disorder. And it's also fear of abandonment, fear of not being loved, fear of rejection, low self-esteem, all of that. So what the disorder is, it really varies. You, you use your sexuality for manipulation and control. You use your sexuality and fantasy of finding this partner to not live in reality, to always be looking. So it can look a different, a different way. So for if you look at the sex addiction side, it's like I said, you use your sexuality. So that could be someone in a partnership that uses their sexuality to manipulate their partner. It could mm. be one night stands. It could be having a lot of multiple partners. It could be porn addiction, masturbating when you have a feeling. It looks so many different ways. For me, I've never had a one night stand. I've not had many sexual partners, but I still am a sex addict because I use my sexuality as currency to get things in this world. Yeah. You have a question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, can you repeat that? Because I think that for some people, it could be like, well, you do this or you do this. You have yeah. one night stands, but you use this word. It's using sex as currency, currency. and it can be even in a relationship. Yes. And that's what I would do. I would use my sexuality. I would act interested. I would put on that sexy facade, even with my partner, because mm -hmm. I wanted to get something because I was feeling empty inside. And I, I was using them as a mirror to give me that high of sex or attention or validation. And it never matched up to my unrealistic expectations. So the whole thing for sex and love addiction is we assign magical qualities to other people. We idealize, we pursue them, we put on a mask ourselves. And when they don't measure up to our fantasies and expectations, we blame them. So it's like we're going around the world going, who's my person that's going to complete me? Oh, are you the one that's going to fix me? Oh, I'm going to like give you, I'm going to act how you want me to do. I'm going to, I'm going to give you everything. But then it's meaningless and pointless because you're, there's no partnership. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so loaded, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Because especially, I love how you use the word, and I think a lot of people can relate to that magical. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things I talk about, you know, on the podcast, I tell people in the description that 
if you're looking for a fairy tale, this podcast is not it. Mm-hmm. And like you kind of line up with that. You're looking for this magical thing that doesn't even exist. But but for you, it kind of does. Does that make sense? It's like it doesn't exist, but I feel like it does. Why? Because I'm because <laughs> I'm an actor. No, no, no. What I'm saying. So let me rephrase that. Like yeah. you're looking for this magical thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It doesn't exist. Yes. But when you're caught up in it, you feel like it does exist. Does that make sense? Oh more? my gosh. Yes. Because falling in love, especially the first moments, right? Like the first mm-hmm. touch, the first kiss, the mm-hmm. first meet, everything. There is that euphoria that happens, that butterflies, those highs, that like roller coaster, you know, that is just as addicting as snorting coke or shooting heroin. And that is what I was addicted to. And that is what a lot of sex and love addicts are addicted to that first high, the, the all encompassing relationship, trying to get that unavailable person to love us. So we feel we're worthy, Mm. you know, going, going from relationship to relationship to relationship, which is what I did. I was a long-term relationship person, but I went back to back to back. And sometimes they overlapped a little. Sometimes I had one foot out of a relationship while I was searching for that next boyfriend. So it's like, always constantly looking for that person to complete us over it's exhausting it's completely Mm. exhausting what so I know you said that you know when you looked in the mirror you're like how long am I going to do this for Mm -hmm. but then I would think and you correct me if I'm wrong on the other side of the mirror it's like yeah but if I stop this what happens to my high oh yeah it's the worst withdrawal And I talk about it in the book, in my book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. The first three chapters is is the lead character, Roxanne, based on my life, you know, in her high and unwilling to let it go and how bad that withdrawal is. It's I I remember a guy came in at six months and he said, I can quit heroin, but I can't quit her. And I knew then I was in for a ride that like, this was no joke. And if you talk to anyone, the main things for suicide or murder is relationship based. So it's 10 times more painful when you're addicted to somebody, they don't measure up to what you want them to. And then you have to withdraw from them. I mean, I cried for nine months. I mean, nine months. I cried every day for nine months, giving up this addiction. I wasn't allowed to text email, talk to any men whatsoever. I didn't have sex for the first year of my recovery. I didn't do any of that stuff. I didn't flirt. I didn't intrigue. I literally would have to go to a restaurant and look down at the menu and not look at the waiter, even though I wasn't attracted to him because I was constantly giving off that flirtatious energy. Like, fill me, I'm empty. Fill me, give me the, give me the attention and the validation. And when that's gone, and you were always, it's like your gasoline for life. Like it, yeah. and it ignited your day. You feel so empty and broken and just like the lowest of the low. So it was very pain. It's very painful. It's a very, it's a very hard addiction to get through. Honestly, not many people um, stay in our program. I would imagine so, because it kind of reminds me of close to eating disorders. It's hard because you have to eat. And then with this, it's hard because we're wired as humans for relationship and And connection to connect. Mm -hmm. So it's like, wait, I can't even look at a person, 
when I'm looking at like I know just for some people who are listening like why can't she just do that why can't she just stop but like (laughs) it's literally I love that you said it's like the cocaine it's that addiction it's that dopamine but for you it was it was people it was yeah I snorted and yeah I snorted and drank people that was my deal like give me a person that gives me attention and tells me how amazing I am and that's like the best high for me in the world because I came from a background of depletion I came from a background that didn't see healthy relationships didn't see healthy communication never saw a marriage where it was loving and compassionate and empathy and all of that I saw drama and ups and downs and hating each other so when I looked at commitment in marriage it was like oh I don't want that I want to live in the movies I want to I was a latchkey kid I want to live in the fairy tale I don't want to live in talking about bills taking out the trash and all that stuff so as soon as that went away and and which was like a year a year and a half for me is when that feeling went away I was out the door. I just couldn't handle real intimacy at all. And believe me, I, before I entered the program, I'm like, I'm just not going to flirt anymore. I'm not going to be a flirtatious person. I'm just Mm -hmm. not going to have a lot of guy friends or, you know, if I'm having a bad day, reach out to a friend to make me feel better because it happens with friends too. The love addiction side, we use everybody in our life to give us worth. So my girlfriends, if I was having a bad day, like this is how it looked. I would call a friend tell her I'm having a bad day and tell her all my problems. And she'd be like trying to pump me up like a good friend does. Right. And then I wouldn't feel better after 30 minutes. So then I picked up the phone and would call another friend. And I was sitting in my car on Melrose Avenue in Los Angeles. And I called four friends back to back. I was in the car for two hours and I didn't feel better. And I was like, I use everybody in Mm -hmm. my life to give me my self worth There is something majorly wrong with this picture. So two things, Mm -hmm. because some people, and I love this, like intimacy is not about sex or that. How do you define intimacy? And I think it's just helpful to share that. So people like, she's not talking sexual. What are you talking about when you say intimacy? I say I don't have any expectations on the other person to give me my worth. And what that looks like with intimacy is you can see the meat. You can see the raw, vulnerable, not perfect me. And I can see the raw, vulnerable, not perfect you and still accept and have empathy and compassion for the other person. Oh, I love that definition. And not even (laughs) try to change them, right? Like, because I was like, oh, I have empathy empathy and compassion, but I'm going to change you and make you better. You know what I mean? So it's like accepting another person exactly who they are and, and you revealing that part of yourself and not running the other way. That's what Mm. intimacy to me looks like. I love that. So Mm -hmm. what about when you were in this car and you're Mm -hmm. calling these friends and Mm -hmm. then not giving you your self-worth, what is it that you felt like you were empty and depleted of? What was truly deep down missing? I mean, I think it's a bunch of stuff. I'm, I love that question. Thank you for asking it. I think it's uh, tools. I didn't have tools to self-regulate. I didn't have tools how to feel my feelings and go through them and get on the other side. I was constantly running from feeling of boredom, sadness. If I don't want any feeling except euphoria. Like, let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> like, that's the only thing I'm interested in. And every other feeling, I don't know how to process it in a healthy way. So 
So instead, I would turn to food sometimes, sugar, uh, shopping, uh, watching Netflix, you know, those whack-a-mole things that I don't have a huge problem with. But when I took away the sex and love, believe me, I ate tons of more cake and cupcakes. I would then go shopping and be like, why did I go? And I'd have to return the stuff, which is another high on top of it, right? Mm -hmm. So it was just that empty bottom well feeling. Mm. All the trauma that was done to me in my lifetime, all the heartache, all the pain, all the pain I've created other people, all the pain I've done to myself was just now the the trash can lid was open. And I talk about this in chapter four and all of it was, all the shit was just spilling out. And I had to literally walk through the fire and let it burn. Like just let it feel it all. That's overwhelming though. Oh, it's the most painful thing. I, I'm telling you that people come in with 33 years in AA, they've had heroin addictions, fentanyl addictions, and they say it was easier to get off heroin and fentanyl than to go through this withdrawal of a person. It is so painful. I can't even tell you. Yeah. I can't even imagine what, and like you said, some people give up. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What, what was it for you that said, I got to keep going? Well, it was a couple of things. So yeah, about 5% of the people that were in the program 12 years ago are in it still. It's a very revolving door. They say AA is the last house on the block and SLAW, Sex and Love Addictions Anonymous, is the shack in the back. Like no one wants <laughs> to come. It's like the lowest of the low. It's like so much stigma and shame too, especially as a woman coming into a room and being like, I have an intimacy, I'm addicted to love and sex. And I, it's just, there's so much shame and embarrassment with this addiction. That's why nobody talks about it. So I got to walk into a room and I really go through this in chapter three, because I want to take people through the book, the first year of recovery and sex and love addiction and how brutal it is and what it looks like and the addicts thoughts and all that. But I walk through And you go in this room and you see all these people from all different ethnicities, races, genders, you know, age groups, and everybody is saying something that I resonated with. I feel broken. I feel alone. I'm always looking for something. I feel depleted. I'm not suicidal, but I have suicidal idea. Idea. I can never say that word. Ideation. Ideation. Yeah. (laughs) And those moments when you're going through a breakup and you're like, I just want to run my car into a wall and not feel this anymore. Right. So those moments of, we have those thoughts or what will my funeral look like? Who will show up? What will they say? Those kind of things. And I just, for the first time when I walked into that room and I, I wasn't alone, I didn't feel broken. I didn't get the tools. And when I looked back at my family tree, it was like, alcoholism, overeating, workaholism. And I just did it with sex and love. So that realization when I walked in and I wasn't alone was a big moment for me because I felt so alone my whole life. And just, I was just broken. I was just one of those people that could never fully commit to another person. Mm. And then the second thing is being in the room and seeing all the pain when people come in and out of the room, like go back to their toxic relationships, go to another, have a one night stand. I got to witness very early how much more painful it was to pop in and out. So I Mm. said, if I'm going to do this, 
Like, I'm really going to do it. Like, I'm going to commit because I know on the other side what I can go back to. And it is so painful. And I almost blew up my relationship. I almost destroyed my life. Could have destroyed my career. I mean, I was literally this close to blowing up my life. And I just knew I couldn't do it anymore. Wow. That's powerful. That's powerful. I think, like, I, I tell people all the time, like, my favorite thing is actually group therapy, not that I do it as much, but I love it because people really do see they're not alone and uh, or like support groups. And I feel like it really helps you to get out to, because so many times we feel like we're the only one because we're not talking about it and because yeah. we are being silent and because the stigma. I'm curious, tell me a bit more about the stigmas, especially as a woman when it comes to sex and love addict. Like think about the person who's listening to this and it's like, there's no way I can tell anyone because blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, when I wrote the article for HuffPost two years ago, I, the morning of when it came out, I was like, what am I doing? I ruined my career. I ruined my life. You know, I'm a working actor for 20 years. People are going to think I'm going to go on set and try to sleep with everybody. Like, this was the biggest mistake of my life. And two hours later, I was like, nothing happened. Nobody. <laughs> I'm like, it was such a humbling experience for me. It was a beautiful experience. It was like, lady, get over yourself. No one cares. Like, you are a worker among workers. You are being of service to other people. You are helping other humility, please. But here's what happened that week. I got tons of messages, emails, like so many people thanking me. It hit 2 million downloads, you know, that first week. And it was like, I got to help so many people. But then at the same time, tons of people reached out and were like, you're a whore. They, I got so many dick pics. I can't even tell you, you know, I... God, I wish I would have met you in your addiction. And it's just like that grossness. What? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I've had to have to say like, you think it's sexy and hot to use other people like that is not sexy and hot. And please don't talk to me like that. So I got to take care of myself. But that's that's the stuff that comes at you. If you as a woman says I'm a sex and love addict people have this warped perception of what that looks like instead of Mm -hmm. thinking this woman is broken. She, she is not healthy. She is, doesn't have a high self-esteem. She's looking for something to complete her. Like all of those things are not sexy, quote unquote, sexy. And society sells that as sexy society Mm -hmm. amplifies love addiction, sex addiction, using your sexuality, get what you need. If you buy this car, this money, this, if you look like this, you will get the love you deserve. And it's like, I just wanted to come out and say, hey, I'm a recovering sex and love addict with 10 years at that time. I now have 12 years and it is the worst way to live. And there's so much pain, uh, pain and now there's so much beauty and you can walk through it too. And, and you know, today alcoholism is, nobody judges someone when they say they're an alcoholic or a drug addict, like at all, like nobody. Mm-hmm. And I want to do that for sex and love addiction. Like, that's powerful. That's what, that's why I broke my anonymity. That's why I was sitting in a meeting when I got my 10 year chip, 90 people around me in Los Angeles sitting there in this, this church basement. And it was 19 year olds, 20 year olds saying, I can't commit. I haven't, I can't have, I can't have sex. I can't have intimacy. I feel so shut down. I'm addicted to porn, all these things. And there's a huge epidemic happening for this younger generation. And so I was like, 
you know what? You got to do something. You can't, you can't just stay in your little bubble of sex and love addicts anonymous. Yeah. I love it. I love breaking the stigmas. (laughs) I feel like we're like kindred spirits because I I share about, I shared about breaking the, talking about genital herpes and having genital herpes. And I came out and shared that to break us, to break the stigma. Um, and so it's so powerful that, but you know what I love, like I love, or I'm hearing you say, cause I think people don't always do this, but you waited 10 years before you shared your story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people like, feel like they have to share every way all the time or share right away or share to the world. And the thing is you don't have to share to everybody. It's sometimes just sharing to yourself. Yeah. And, and then or perhaps, even one person and yeah. one other person, there's so much yeah. power in sharing with one other person, what you're going through. Mm-hmm. But that's the main thing I tell people, this is, you have to recover. You have to heal. Like I could not have spoken out a year after I was sober, five years, eight years, even, even nine years. But when I hit that 10 years, something happened where it was like, this is bigger than you now. You're Mm -hmm. healed. So anybody can say anything to me and it just rolls off my back. It's like, okay, whatever. Because it's, first of all, it's not about me. Me sharing is not about me. Mm -mm. It's not about healing me. It's actually connecting to you or the listener and being of service. Writing the book was not about me. I never wanted to write a book. I have ADHD. I'm, I'm an actor. I'm not a writer. And it's like, I didn't write that book. God wrote that book. My higher power wrote that book in 45 mm-hmm. days. Like I did not, it was something came through me and wrote that book to help other mm-hmm. people. My podcast is not about me. Secret Life Pod, it's not me. It's about me helping someone else not feel alone. And if I can help one person, then all of it is worth it. But if I would have spoke out at a, a year recovery, I would have, I would have destroyed myself. If I would have spoke at two years, five years, eight years, nine years, I would have destroyed myself. So you have to do mm-hmm. the healing for you first before you can then go help somebody else. Yeah, I love that. That segues into one of the things I wanted to ask. What does that look like? I know, of course, mm-hmm. your group was a big part of your Huge. healing, and it still is. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do you feel like for you was part of that healing that was really helpful for you? Yeah, I did eight years of intense therapy. I mean, twice a week, intense therapy, uh, Jungian style therapy. Then I did Reiki. I did that for years because I had so much stuck trauma in my body, especially in my throat. Whenever I, something, it would get my throat would close. So when I was working through trauma, my throat would close up. So I would, I had so much trapped energy in my body. So I did a lot of body work. I did a lot of meetings. I go to more meetings now than I did when I first started. I go to a meeting in the morning and I go to a meeting at night. I speak all over the world. I speak at recovery centers. I, if someone asks me to show up, even do an interview, I say yes. I say yes to pretty much anything just to be of service to other people mm-hmm. um, with self-care. I'm not like running yeah. myself <laughs> ragged. I'm, I pray every morning. I pray mm-hmm. every night to a God I don't completely understand. And my prayer really looks like, hey, God, you take over this day. Like it's let me show up where I need to show up. Please take my ego out of it. Please take away my compare and despair and turn it to trust and faith. And I, you know, and then at night I have a gratitude list. I write three things I'm grateful for. Every day has to be different Mm -hmm. things. Um, So it's just like everything I do is of service. Even when I go on set and do a job, it's not like about me. It's like, who can I be of service to today? 
to be that. helpful to. And how, how can I do my job the best of my ability and get my ego out of the way? Yeah. So those are the things that really helped me heal. But definitely the therapy took me, it took me 10 years to do my 12 steps. It took wow. me a really long time. My fourth step was two and a half years long. Wow. <laughs> Which meaning I, I had so many resentments, let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's so important to share. You mm-hmm. kind of said it earlier that, you know, one of the things, the taglines for this is discovering the beauty in the mess, right? Yep. And so some people can, can sometimes feel like, okay, you do all this healing and then you're okay or, or life is like perfect. And you're even saying, yeah, I've done all this healing. I've done all this work, but I still go to my meetings. Yeah. Can you explain and just tell us why? Like people, why would you need to do that? You've done this, you've done that. Why would you need to do that? Because I'm an addict. Because I'm an addict. I will always have an addict mind. I will always want to be selfish. I will always want to get like, what's mine? Worried, fear, you know, edging God out, not believing in God. Um, If I don't get what I think I deserve, I can get very resentful. I know all these things about me because of the years and years of recovery work I have done. I have looked at my character defects. I have stared down the barrel of like what my life would look like. And here I am with all the cash and prizes of this program. I'm married. I never thought I was going to be married. Mm. I have a child. I never thought I was going to have a child. I thought I was too selfish. I have a career. I sponsor people. I have clients all over the world that I work with that are in sex and love addiction. I have a career as an actress. I have all the cash and prizes, but I'm still sick. Mm. You know, I know that I will destroy my life in a matter of weeks if I don't go help somebody else. If I don't go and take care of my emotional needs and connect to another addict and hear their suffering to know, oh, I'm not alone. I don't have, you know, I have bad days where I wake up and I, and I don't like myself. So I have to go pray about it and say, Hey, who can I help today? And that always gets me out of it. So I just have been around long enough to know if I didn't do this work, I would, you know, be relocating to Paris and thinking I could find a guy there in a different life and be happy. And, and then I know that (laughs) I would go through the same thing all over again. So I know that about me. So some people might think, well, what's the point? What's the point if I go through all this for 10 years, 12 years, and then I still have to go twice a week? Like, what is the point? (laughs) What would you say? Because that's my new high. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I've listened to old timers in AAA and the one thing that is better than the high of falling in love or, you know, first touch, first kiss, first sex is actually helping another person. And watching them heal and, and being proud that you got to contribute and watch this person that is in so much pain and wanting to kill themselves and going back to that horrible guy that hurt them over and over again and to watch them get on the other side and like change their life completely and love themselves. I cannot tell you how unbelievably amazing that is because the opposite of addiction is connection. It's not sobriety, it's connection. So me connecting to one of my sponsees I've had for eight years and watching her get out of a bad relationship and love herself and date healthily and help her walk through sober dating, I cannot tell you is like the ultimate high. Mm. 
I love it. So if someone's listening and Mm -hmm. they're like, I'm not sure, maybe this could be me, (laughs) or they're kind of confused about, well, no, I just like relationships. So I love love. Like, oh, I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) How do they know that maybe it's something they might want to think about a bit more deeply? How do they... Oh, well, first of all, there's these 40 questions and I start writing about them in my book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, but you can go online and there are 40 self-diagnosed questions of SLAA. So just type that in, they'll pop up. And they're questions like, do you, you know, assign magical qualities to somebody? Do you go from relationship to relationship? Do you believe a person can fix you? Are you always looking for romance? Have you had sex with inappropriate people at inappropriate times at inappropriate locations? Have you... Uh, lost count of your sexual partners? Have you been in a relationship? Does it make your life bearable? So it's those kind of questions. So the first thing I ask you, is there any drama in your life? Mm. Do you have any drama in any of your relationships? Do you have friendships that don't show up for you, ghost you? Do you have relationships where it's a roller coaster goes in and out all the time? Do you have bad family relationships? That's the first sign. So if that is a problem, then the next thing I would say, look at, look at the past relationships. Has they, have they gotten worse and worse, right? Cause it, mm. it, it's a progressive disease. So you think you're in a bad relationship and then the next relationship is worse. And then the next relationship is worse. So that's another thing I point out. And are you unwilling to let that person go? So that's a huge sign. Like you, you make these, Like, I'm not going to go out tonight. I'm not going to look for a one night stand. I'm not going to text him or her or whoever I'm. And then you find yourself an hour later doing those things next day, the end of the week, because you're feeling lonely and sad. That's another sign. So it's a ton of signs that you kind of have to connect the dots. But for me, it's like, are you always thinking this person is you need to just find your soulmate? this person that's magically outside of yourself, that's going to complete you. Like that was a huge one for me. Ooh, I love it. Because when I realize I'm my own soulmate, I'm the one that lives and dies with myself. And that's what I write about in chapter 11. I'm the one that has to fill myself, give myself worth, give me myself love, flirt with myself, those things, not somebody else. Somebody else coming in is just, you know, is going to amplify my growth and my beauty, but not encompass not enmeshing. We don't enmesh with each other like I used to. And it's like, I am my own person. They are their own person. And we walk this path together of growth. Yeah. I love that. Looking at all the different factors, not just you, but how you are in all your relationships, how you're feeling inside. Mm -hmm. And also kind of like your expectations of this magical person and kind of the soulmate. And I totally relate. Like really being in relationships is about adding people to add to you. And that is the last thing I want to add. I'm so glad you said that. You just reminded me (laughs) the number one thing I say to my sponsees or anybody I work with, do they bring out the best in you? Because if someone doesn't bring out the best in you, it's not probably a great relationship because any healthy relationship I have seen, I have had, or I have worked with, that person brings out the best of you. I'm not saying there's not conflict and things you have to work through, but after through the conflict, does it bring out the best of you? I love that. Yes. So I have two last questions. Yes. Um, 
So how would you describe where you are today? I would say 85% serenity and peace at all times. <laughs> you know, life happens on life's terms and I still have to deal with the ups and downs of that. I am in a healthy partnership with a man I've been with for 17 years. So I went through this program and I didn't go and find the perfect partner. That boyfriend I was living with, I'm still with today. So it's not mm -hmm. like I went through this program and found like the most ideal, like perfect person. No, I found myself and that mm -hmm. allowed me to connect to another person. So I'm married now. I have a son, like I said, he's four years old. I get to teach him not to look outside of himself for his self-worth. Mm -hmm. I don't enmesh with my child like my parents enmeshed with me. He is mm -hmm. his own person. I have boundaries now. I get to say no and actually hold to it. I get to say yes when I want to say yes. I don't have to go outside and trying to find people, friends that love me. All the friends in my life that didn't show up for me because I didn't show up for them, let's be honest have drifted away. I've cleared up all the wrongs I've done. I've made amends in my life. I have a better relationship mm -hmm. with my parents. I see them as human beings, not my parents anymore. You know, I, I don't know. It's just, I don't have drama in my life at all. <laughs> and you would I think it's it. boring, but like at first you're like, this is boring, but no, it is so freeing. It is so freeing to walk down the street as a woman and no one hits on you. Cause you're not giving off that energy. Like Fill me, give me attention. So I just, I just live in a, a world of like this and service. And it's, it's very fulfilling. It's more fulfilling than I ever thought. You know, oh, I'm yeah. really, really proud of who I am. I love myself. Um, my perfectionism doesn't kill me every morning like it used to. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just trying to live my best life. I love that. Mm -hmm. And so talking about that perfectionism, because of course, that's the work I do. Mm -hmm. um, and why we're here really is what is something that is messy in your life? It could be something physical, like a room or just emotional. Um, just so people know, like, you have this great things going on, but there's still mess. Oh, that is such a good I would say like my junk drawer in my kitchen, but we just cleaned that up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I honestly, I don't know what that would be. Truthfully, I feel like I've done the work. I've cleaned up, you know, the extra stuff in my life that drags me down. I think the one thing I still work on that I'm struggling with is the sexual anorexia side that people don't talk about. And it's going to be in my second book that I'm writing right now um, is where you still have trouble connecting the intimacy in your sexuality. So mm. what that looks like, if I love somebody, it's hard for me to be sexual because it's too much intimacy. And if I don't love somebody, it's easier. So, you know, being married, being with someone for 17 years, it's like how to go to that next level of intimacy and your sexuality. Does that make okay. sense? So yeah. that still that is difficult. That happens to a lot of old timers in my program like me. So that's a constant one where I have to lean into the intimacy when it feels too much. Ooh, I love that. Thank you mm -hmm. for sharing. Thank You're you. You're welcome. So how can the audience shower you with love? Where can they find you and connect with you? Oh, that's so sweet. I love that. If anything I said resonates, you know, or you have questions or you want to know about meetings, they're all over the world now in person and on Zoom. I have a lot of information I can send to you. It's at go to Instagram at the Brianne Davis. I try to answer all my DMs or TikTok at 
the dot Brianne Davis. Uh, you can go to Secret Life Novel where you can get my audiobook, I Act Out, or a hard copy paperback signed copy. Or you can go to Secret Life Podcast and we tell other people's secrets. We've released 88 episodes. Secrets all walks of life from everything like suicide attempt, shooting yourself in the chest with a shotgun, emotional incest with moms, using abortion as birth control, lighter ones too, where it's like lying on your resume and then getting caught, you know? <laughs> so there's a lot of secrets that we reveal. We allow other people to, I, my whole concept is tell me your secret and I'll tell you mine. So every show mm. I try to release a secret of mine. So the guest doesn't feel alone. And we just want to help people not feel alone, my husband and I. So we have I think 66 episodes still not released. So we have enough for a year and a half. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Brianne. It's been a pleasure. Um, And I'm definitely going to put all of her information um, in the show notes. And thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. And please read the book if you need any help. Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict on Amazon. I don't know about you, but that was very interesting and I learned a lot Um, and I love to learn. Anyone who knows me, I love to learn and, you know, you just never know what someone else is caught up in and, you know, what we may think, maybe the person who's always in a relationship, always has a guy is, you know, they're cool, they're okay, they're amazing, but they could be struggling. So a couple of takeaways, as always, I think one of the things that Brianne is still in meetings and still goes regularly to her meetings and just to talk about one of the things I always say to people is I actually like group therapy, group support, because it's so powerful when you're in a room with other people who are going through or been through the same thing. So you don't feel so isolated One of the reasons why I do this podcast is so people know they're not alone in their challenges. And even 10 years on, she's still in those meetings and that's really powerful and really encouraging. Then also the other thing I took away is how powerful sex and love addiction is and even comparing it to cocaine, which to me makes sense because we are wired for for relationships and connection and like I've said before it gives us something naturally but again when something's missing in our lives in general how much more powerful that addiction can possibly be and in that that sex and love is the hardest to withdraw from which makes so so much sense again because we're wired for relationships so it's like how do I have this balance? What do I have to withdraw from? And all the things she had to go through in regards to to relationships and still do to maintain a healthy relationship with herself and also with her husband and with her son. And the last thing I really took away that sex and love addiction is not just about romance or what shall I say, being in a relationship. It's about finding a constant seek, shall I say, for that magical high. It's not just about the connection piece, but it's 
seeking also um, the high, the high that you got and you want to still get. And that's what you're constantly chasing. And sometimes you don't even realize that's what you're constantly chasing when you are in and out of these relationships. And you don't have to also be in and out of relationships to be a sex and love addict too. I think that was very fascinating. So I would love to hear your takeaways. You know, you can send me an email, hello at authenticallybeyou.com. You can DM me at authenticallybeyou. Share on Instagram, say what your takeaway is. I would love to hear from you. And don't forget to share it with a family, friend. I'm always going to tell you, there's always someone who needs it. So thank you so much for listening and sharing the podcast. Thank you for listening to It Didn't Break Me. If you like this episode, please follow the podcast and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Please don't forget to share this with a friend and you can tag me on Instagram with your takeaway from this episode at Authentically Be You. If you want to keep abreast of upcoming episodes, please sign up for the newsletter on the podcast website, itdidn'tbreakme.com. And remember to discover the beauty within the mess.